welcome to the MetPro Method podcast. I am your host, Crystal O'Keefe. Today, we are joined by Marcelo Aller, and he's Vice President of Sales at Biostrap. And today, we are discussing heart rate training. Marcelo, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. I was wondering- Thank you, Crystal. (laughs) You're welcome. I was wondering if you could start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you became such an expert on heart rate training. Thank you. My background really starts off with 12 years on the service side of the industry as a CSCS coach, personal trainer, working in health clubs, having my own speed agility quickness camp. And I really was an advocate of wearable technologies ahead of time. So as a user, I collected data on my clients, on the athletes I worked with, I had access to some unique population sets. After 12 years, I became a subject matter expert, and I really took that opportunity to work with a lot of vendors that I worked with at that time and took that passion and brought it into where I spent the last 20 years with companies such as Polar, uh, Zephyr, Mio, as well as now Biostrap where it's an evidence-based form that allows me to use 20 years of know-how experience from the end user all the way over to operations. And I'm currently actually finishing my MBA. The passion has really been a life learner. I've used this with various different types of organizations. I've worked with different populations based on fitness goals. Uh, And then that usually is consistent through all the populations, a test, applying training zones. There's many different ways. And this kind of says, how do you do it? And it really depends. It's asking the right questions. And it's usually applying evidence-based approaches. Okay. For those people that are tuning in who may not have heard some of the verbiage you're using before, uh, a wearable is simply any kind of device that tracks data. And in this case, specifically your heart rate, correct? Yeah, now it's actually more than just heart rate. If you really take a look at it, it's going beyond heart rate. The evolution, when it started with Polar, it was the father of chest belt technology. Since that, have there been more updates to that technology? There have been. It still does the same thing. What's new now from a wearable definition is optical sensors, magnetometers, galvanic skin sensors, more dimensions of of accelerometry data. So it's a wearable could be almost anything. It really depends, but you are right. It's more than just heart rate. So people should understand that should be the right, what does that mean? And is it the right choice for them? Yeah. And there's so many to choose from today. I mean, there's a heart rate monitor in your Apple Watch. There's Whoop. There's obviously a Biostrap and Polar still has a million different kinds of different things that you can get. There's chest straps, there's wrist straps. And so, yeah, it is very confusing. First of all, what are heart rate zones and how do you make sure you're using a device correctly? Yeah. Yeah. So heart rate zones, it depends on who you ask about that definition. But if we go textbook, it's really based on intensity and duration of time. And that tells, uh, theoretically, what energy you're using, fat and carbohydrates, to keep it simple. Uh, that conversation has been uh, questioned more about, is it accurate? And what are the methods that you have available to you? So there's many forms. There's a talk test. There's blood testing. 
there is ventilation testing of some type, which you would use a wearable that could measure ventilation deflection. That tells us where the threshold number is, and anything below that technically is fat burning predominantly. But at the end of the day, energy target zone training is really a sport, though. It really depends on what are you trying to do. Okay, are you trying yeah. to train for an event? Or are you trying to train for weight loss? What's the zone training for? Okay, so that's a great point. If you kind of back into this whole thing, there's a million different ways you can come up with what heart rate zones you should be looking at. But once you've decided whatever you're going to use for that, and, and at MetPro as a coach, I recommend the talk test unless you want to spend money to get a testing done. And then I feel like the gold standard is that VO2 max going through that process. But it's expensive and it's not always easy to find a place to do it. But yeah. once you have those zones and you're saying, OK, now I understand what my training zones are or my zones are, then you have to decide, well, how are you going to use it for training? Because there are people who are training for something like a marathon or they're training for an Ironman, but then you have the person who they're just trying to get fit. They haven't been moving and they just want to start yeah. moving. Those might be two different sets of heart rate zones that you would look at, right? Yeah, correct. A hundred percent. That's why I bring up, you bring up a good point. It's like, what's what can be done that effectively measures work and intensity? And then based on that, how does that apply to the sport or the goal that I'm trying to train for. And in, for a person with weight loss, it's more about caloric expenditure, but also energy efficiency. And that could be measured in either HIIT training or moderate intensity training or long intensity as well. It's a healthy mixture of all those intensities. That's where heart rate zones are meaningful. It's time spent in zones that you need to spend in to be able to make an impact on those goals. That's how it should be used. Testing it, and if you can keep it simple, like a 1.5 mile run to get your VO2 max score and to get your target zones, it's great, it's simple. If you can do it, it's also a great longevity testing solution that you can do anywhere, and to your point, it's really for free if you have a wearable. So you're saying there are wearables that try to mimic that kind of in-laboratory VO2 max experience. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Field testing. Yeah. Field testing is how I refer to it. Like Polar has a running test. Biostrap has a VO2 max test. It's based on known information, distance covered, and then the heart rates associated with it uh, and the time. Okay, uh, and, and that can then give us an estimated VO2 max based on the activity that we're looking at. Typically, ground-based activities and cycling activities are the other ones that we see indoors. But not many people love to get on there and give me like a walk test because that's really what I would do. I'd be like, here's a five-minute walk test. Not pleasant, but very effective training tool for any population. Yeah, I've done two in a laboratory and they are they are not pleasant. <laughs> they are not pleasant. Uh, no. I mean, you feel yeah. like you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's a great fitness tool, right? It, it tells you your size engine, you know, how efficient you are. And then it really helps you understand that max number. And then you can back it into your training zones. 
Yeah. But interestingly, I find that I do better in a laboratory because I wear an Apple Watch and a Whoop. And my Apple Watch will tell me, oh, here's what I think your VO2 max is. And my Apple Watch consistently tells me that my VO2 max is way lower than what I did in the lab. Do you have thoughts on that? This is just for me. (laughs) Well, this is one of the things that I have a gripe with in our industry that I've worked in. There's no standardized model out there. So if we're going to get this to a point where we can get a bigger impact, the opportunity now is to help manage this foreseeable health crisis. And that's really, as a company, we're envisioned on where we want to make a a real good sensor that allows us to do this. So wearables today all have different algorithms. Everything is a black box. Everything's proprietary. Very few companies provide you raw data as well as process data. Um, you know, they feel like you know t- can, it could probably expose the secret sauce. Okay. Um, I, I don't believe that's facts because not everyone's going to be able to make sense of raw data sets. That algorithm may be different in some capacities, and you just have to continue validating it. And I think that's where the big difference is in wearable devices. No standardization and, and the ability to provide raw data to do the right thing, to be able to make sure that everyone is comparatively doing the right data processing and have the proper standards. So it frustrates me because to your point, I use multiple devices too. I have, you know, I I usually wear four devices at the same time. So it's like, I'm just constantly looking at data sets and I try to understand, it's like, why is, why does Garmin tell me my VO2 max is at a 51 while my polar is telling me 47. And when I do a ground-based exercise, like a 1.5 mile run, it's more like in the 41s based on that. So it's like, okay, which one is right? I look at work being actually done. And so I combine some of the metrics, but usually the standard deviations are higher. I do do lab testing. I go down to Columbus and at Ohio State's lab. So I'd like to do a DEXA scan and some physiological testing. But to your point, it's not cheap. Right. The value of wearing a wearable is that you can fill in these gaps. These Because the episodic measurements, the day that you tested, so what? That was that day, right? That variable. Everyone likes to look at one metric and it's the end all be all. People have to understand it's not just the one set of data, but it's the trend as well. Right. So so even if my Apple watch gives me a totally different metric than your polar and you're wearing four different things, even if they all give you different ones, you should still be able to see are you making progress with your training by the trends you're seeing, right? Yeah. Yeah, correct. And that's where I was like, well, everyone tracks heart rate, right? But are you looking at your resting heart rate variables? Are you looking at heart rate variability? Are you looking at blood oxygen? How does that co-reference to your activity that you've done throughout your active daily living? And then if you add in sleep, which at the end of the day is, I think, you could measure certain things like latency, duration for now, effectively, REM as well, effectively without you know making extreme claims that's meaningful information on your training behavior and your lifestyle so that's where i think wearables today are really making more of an impact to be able to make changes on a longevity scale on a health scale and also on a fitness scale so what kind of impacts do you see them making yeah heart rate variability is probably really being used 
unique applications from biofeedback as an indicator of impact on the autonomic nervous system. So let's say I like to do box breathing to prepare myself for either a meeting or for some type of stressful situation. Who knows why we would need to have that process in place, right? Um, so a I weekend do, with your family. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? You know, Thanksgiving, we could do a session of breathing where we can do a pre and post measurement and you can then see the delta change. But you could more importantly see what was my stress state going into an intervention and coming out of it. So looking at variables like heart rate variability and looking at heart rate, those are two variables that are, I think are great. And I think we do that right now in, in our BioStrap solution. And it's actually being used too by practitioners and research studies for like PTSD, for people with a stress condition where we're being used in, in an assortment of populations too with that methodology, just looking at it from a biofeedback, simple biofeedback, is this working, you know, and seeing the state of your body's in. So heart rate in a training situation, no one's disputing that. It's pretty evidence-based. It's where else can this wearable technology fill in gaps outside of the training hours that I feel is really meaningful to have a wearable today. So, when we talk about why should you wear a heart rate monitor of any kind, a wearable of any kind, that makes sense. But I remember, I'm dating myself here, back in and when I was a kid, you know, you used to have to do the little test where you used to feel where your pulse was and you'd check it for 10 seconds and then multiply it times six and that was your heart rate. So <laughs> uh, if somebody like hates the idea of using a wearable, are there still ways to be able to, like, can you just exercise and not worry about it? I guess is what I'm saying. No. <laughs> okay, why? <laughs> no. Realistically, everyone assumes that they're healthy and that they're never going to have a condition with their heart. A wearable technology can actually save individuals from doing harm and understanding where the stress of the vehicle is, right? It's like you're driving a vehicle, you have a dashboard, you're seeing your gas gauge, you're seeing your, your gasoline gauge. That's really important. That's really where a wearable of some type, because I've seen it personally, where four years ago, I'm doing my day-to-day -day like I am doing today with you. I fit in a small hit session. So I'm, I run down and uh, my standing heart rate was at 176 beats per minute. Uh-oh. Um, standing like this, right? Wasn't aware, put on different devices, made sure it wasn't a battery issue because I've come across many different types of reasons of it, the heart rate might not be accurate, right? So then I put on other devices and find out it was accurate within that 36 hours. If I did not have a wearable on, let's say I would not be having this discussion with you. I was cardioverted. And ever since then, knock on wood, made some lifestyle changes as well as, um, you know, I've been a person who's been passionate about heart rate technology, but I've always had it because at a young age, I even had a, a condition as well. Oh, so wow. It's no joke when people like really love their tagline. And one of the taglines that I like to use is train with heart. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a very good one. Yeah, I've I know that I've had some friends who have had experiences using wearables that have saved their lives. I agree with you 100 percent. And I I like to wear mine because I'm 
not only do I do a lot of different kinds of exercise, but I'm also what I would call a data nerd. So I love to see how different things, how they'll affect the wearables different, like you said about sleeping, or if I do do meditation, or if I eat a, a whole lot of carbs the night before, what happens to my heart rate variability? How do I feel the next day? My heart rate has trouble staying lower. It's just interesting data. Yeah. Yeah, heart rate variability is something that I think is very hard to understand initially. I would say it took 20 years for people to understand heart rate technology. It was developed in in the 70s. So, you know, it's not that old chest yeah. technology, but the culture from, let's say, that until the 2000s wasn't really, you weren't adopting heart rate training mainstream. It was endurance athletes at best or Olympic athletes at best. Heart rate variability is a really new novel metric, probably used in the mainstream after the year 2000. Prior to that, in super soldier programs, uh, in research and mortality studies really has been the larger genre of heart rate variability, where people with high heart rate variability have been associated with longer lifespans. So it's a great stress marker. I feel like that's a marker that you're going to see a lot more, not just from a recovery standpoint, but it could be a great stress score as well. And that's really where a lot of the novel biomarker development that I'm seeing in the market space um, being pursued by everyone. <laughs> so um, some are evidence-based, some are not. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? A lot of these algorithms are grouping of these metrics. Oh, like okay. Heart rate. Resting heart rate, heart rate variability, and one other variable, and it gives me a training load score or a recovery score of some capacity. Right. So that, that's their proprietary algorithm. That's what they're making this assumption of recovery or training load or some form of feedback. Some are based on like known research-based that's been shared and people have been peer-reviewed shown to be true. I gotcha. Um, it's so new at this point that those algorithms have not necessarily been proven out for all the different devices that are out there that tell you recovery uh, scores and things like that. I would say they some have evidence. How strong is that evidence, number one? And how available is that for people to ask that question when you're making a purchasing decision for your company, for yourself, or for anyone? I feel like consumers are really smarter today. Um, 80 or 90% know what they want to have based on researching the internet. And I hope one of the questions they're asking, is this evidence-based and is this a real number to look at before I adopt anything and change anything? And do I understand it? That's really it. It's making the most out of the technology that's available to you and that, that it doesn't become a gadget. That makes sense. And going back to just like heart rate zones specifically for people who are looking to use them for training, whether that be they're just starting out or they're more advanced athletes, if they don't know what they're looking for when it comes to heart rate zones, um, is there a place that a person should go just to get started for here's what I should do day one? It really depends on how their body adapts. So certain people adapt better to certain types of training styles. That's a trial and error basis. You can do testing of some sort. Um, 
A good example is we were looking for an event training. Biggest argument is you have this group of polarized training individuals where 20% of their training is only at a high intensity and the rest is in this zone two category. And then you have this other school of thought that's more high intensity interval training. There's pros and cons on both sides. It really depends upon how much time you have to train and your level of fitness. But certain people really respond well to polarized training and certain other people you have to you have to test yourself so yeah having definitely some, having an indication of that helps um, i believe in a happy mixture of them all i agree with yeah. you there that you shouldn't do all high zones where it's that high intensity you also yeah. should not have every activity yeah. you do just be kind of like real easy going there needs to be a mixture of all of the above <laughs> yeah. yeah and the biggest thing if you look at it too is what i love about wearables today is i can take the trended data like i was talking about like if i see ideally as i'm coming off of 16 weeks of training load so what i steadily saw was a, de a decline in my hrv and also incline on my resting heart rate i started seeing that accumulation occurring so now I'm unloading and I start a new phase. So there, then most of my workouts are easy, low intensity, long. So it's not a little bit all the time. It's a, some certain phases should be loaded with maybe a lower intensity and certain other phases should be loaded with a higher intensity. But that's based on having access to a great coach, trainer, or a facility that programs based on heart rate intensities. Yeah, and um, for listeners out there, we do do that at MetPro. Whenever you have a concierge coach, we help you with those types of questions. So don't feel like you're alone out there. When you're looking at muscle building versus burning fat, are there any considerations you should look at for heart rate training? Uh, you know, if we had a solution for weight loss, I think it would be... Um, You'd be a millionaire. You know, yeah, easily, easily. There, weight loss is, there's many things associated in that process. So that's where sleep tracking helps. That's where heart rate variability helps. And then from fat target load training, or it really depends on the individual. Like if a person's super sore after a hit session, they're useless to you. So if they're not fit enough... They're just going to have to understand that maybe they have to do more homework on their own. And this is where digital fitness technology helps. You can have a digital dashboard where you can just coach them from it. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, that's something that we do at Biostrap is where I, I can give them access to how they're sleeping. And that's what we do with coaches. And that's what we do with wellness organizations or researchers. To okay. Be able to remotely train your population, but looking at their variables, it's like sleep, their heart rate variability, their resting heart rate, and looking at those longevity metrics and health metrics, more importantly. SBO2 is a number two that I think is uh, really an untapped resource, especially during sleep and nocturnal measurements. Can you tell us more um, about what that is? Only, yeah, blood oxygen level. So it's measured really in a couple different ways. We do it through red and infrared light and in our actigraphy, where we're looking at the sleep metrics and the quality of sleep. And then we look at heart rate and heart rate variability along with the SpO2 metrics. So we want to see a stable trend. Anything 95 and above is okay typically, but if you're dropping below 95%, it could indicate that you might have some type of 
potential risk for sleep apnea. It's not a medical device, but we've been used to identify potential risks and screens. And that's really what we're known for. We're a comprehensive sleep wearable that allows people to see that information and see the quality of information. We could even measure your snoring through your phone, um, <laughs> which a lot of people are like, I don't snore. Okay, put it on. Turns uh, so, out you do. <laughs> uh, your significant others going there going, Yes, yes. It's a metric that I think for weight loss, point that bringing up is it's a no brainer. Most people uh, that carry a lot of mass around their trunk and their chest are going to labor at night to sleep. It's going to be disturbed sleep. They'll start noticing impact on their sleep as they modify their active daily living, doing a workout regimen, adjusting and just cleaning up their diet. Might not need to drastically change anything. Obviously, seek professional counsel, understand that they have good blood sugar, but weight loss is such a tough nut to crack. I've implemented HIT programs very successfully with that population, where I always only saw a high, high outcome from that population, but sometimes it's short-term results. And what ends up happening is they rebound and gain that weight back because they finished the program achieving some results, but are kind of broken down, worn down, and not mentally haven't been addressed. And that's where there's a mental side of working out as well and weight loss that I think is not discussed enough in our society. Oh, I definitely agree with that. And I think that nutrition comes into play as well. I've learned through working with MetPro that, you know, if you're a person who's eaten pretty clean, and you've been a person who's dieted a lot throughout your life and exercised, it's still going to be harder for you to lose weight, no matter what yeah. you do. It's just going to be harder yeah. than a person who yeah. is overweight and hasn't done any of those things. They're going to have a much easier time. And it's like counterintuitive to the way it should be. And yeah. that's why you say it depends all the time, or that's why Angelo says it depends all the time here at MetPro. And it sounds like you have a very similar, it depends on the person because you don't know their background. <laughs> my, my Kines professor always told me that I would always be eager to ask a question about, there's no panacea, there's no utopia, there's no silver bullet. You have to do the work at the end of the day. So whatever you're going to say, it depends. <laughs> I feel like I always say that. My kids always mock me too about it. They're like, hey, it, it, there's dad. It depends. Yes, <laughs> no, it, it does. Yeah. So um, what else do you wish that people knew about heart training in general or wearables that they don't necessarily know and we haven't covered? Try to understand what type of technology adopter you are. Are you an early adopter? Um, are you more a follower? Or are you just like still on the iPhone 1 or iPhone 4, complete laggard? Understand what that means, right? If you're an early adopter, understand that this might not be completely evidence-based. That's um, a very, that very still, good point. You know, you're believing in an opportunity that is still being flushed out. I'm not saying that's not valid. It's valid, but still needs more of a population size to to make that assumption and hopefully they have those resources in the R&D side on the developing always. I think that's uh, a very valid point. Whatever wearable you're using, maybe check it out. Make sure all the things you're looking at are evidence-based. And yeah. if not, maybe take a look around and see what else is out there. I am definitely an early adopter. So I am definitely guilty of, ooh, new and shiny, pretty. <laughs> yeah. I've always been an early adopter, but now I think, because I do so much 
testing that I've gone to be more of a I wait and see, <laughs> and then I then I verify and trust yeah. personally because a lot of Gen One, Gen Two products are just you know especially in new. And there's very very few new technologies now. It's really it's all about the what you can do with the data and the quality of the data, and then the processing limitations that you are. If, it, there might be limitations because of the hardware that you're using. But what we have available today is cloud processing and machine learning and AI, which opens up a whole other, uh, you know, variable here. Imagine having, you know, a virtual you that can use the camera or the wearable device and start taking those data sets in and coaching. It's possible in the near future. Wow. If not done, you know, in augmented reality, more or less, that's being done now. Wow. What would be the benefit of that? Um, training could be like astronauts do that now. Military does that now. So I can put through people through simulation training in a VR world and with a wearable and use that biofeedback to coach them through scenarios, to guide them through a workout. There's many different applications. So that's a whole other um, up and coming, uh, well, at least uh, certain tech companies hope it's up and coming. Uh, <laughs> I would say Meta right now in the market is probably the leading one on that with Oculus. Okay. Uh, but there are other VR companies and AR companies. Wow. That's fascinating to think about. Marcelo, I really appreciate your time today. And before we go, I want to make sure you have an opportunity to tell everybody where they can find you and find out all about Biostrap as well. Sure. They, they could find me on LinkedIn. So just look me up on LinkedIn, connect with me if you're not. As far as Biostrap, it's Biostrap, B-I-O-S-T-R-A-P.com. And take a look at what we have to offer. We're a B2B company providing wearable devices, but we're are really a data company trying to give you access to data for research or for unique enterprise services. Fascinating. Well, again, thank you. I really appreciate your time. And listeners, that's all, that's all for this week. You can find all the MetPro Method episodes anywhere you get podcasts or metpro.co slash podcast. Please be sure to follow the show and rate and review. That lets other people know what they can expect. You can also learn more about MetPro at metpro.co. I'm your host, Crystal O'Keefe, and I'll be back next week. Until then, remember, consistency is key.